Hello and welcome to the Chair's Corner from the Department of Medicine at the University of North Carolina. This is our series where we are exploring topics related to autoimmune diseases to help patients and their loved ones understand and manage their condition. Today, we're going to be talking about rheumatoid arthritis. And our expert today is Dr. Beth Jonas, an associate professor in our division of rheumatology, allergy, and immunology. And Beth Jonas specializes in the care of patients with rheumatoid arthritis and other related uh, conditions. She also directs the UNC Rheumatology Fellow Training Program. So welcome, Dr. Jonas. Thank you. What is rheumatoid arthritis? Well, rheumatoid arthritis is a chronic condition which is characterized by inflammation of the joints, most commonly involving the small joints of the hands and feet, but almost any joint can be involved. So if one of my joints starts to hurt, how do you separate out, for example, osteoarthritis from rheumatoid arthritis? We generally think about rheumatoid arthritis being a disease that affects multiple joints at the same time. So that's one way that we can differentiate rheumatoid arthritis from osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is a similar kind of condition, but usually involves the large weight-bearing joints, not as much the small joints of the hands and feet, although those joints can certainly be involved. What's the cause of rheumatoid arthritis? Well, nobody really knows what causes rheumatoid arthritis. We generally think about it as occurring in a genetically susceptible host, but also there are likely some antigenic triggers that may be important in why people develop rheumatoid arthritis, but the etiology is really very incompletely understood. So like other autoimmune diseases, it's really the mixture of a genetic predisposition with some exposure from something in the environment which triggers this autoimmune process that ends up hurting multiple well, joints. Well, that is the paradigm that we think about, although we really don't know for sure. What's that word rheumatism really mean? Rheumatism is really an old term and um, probably just means joint pain or arthritis in general. Some people might equate the word rheumatism with rheumatoid arthritis, but they are really not the same thing. So rheumatism is just a very general term. If somebody presents to you then in clinic and has multiple joints that are bothering them, how do you end up proving that that person has rheumatoid arthritis? So making a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis uh, really relies on a few things. Number one is the history. So which joints are involved? How long have they been involved? Are there symptoms and signs of inflammation in the joints? Those are the things that we're looking for. By inflammation, what does that look like? So swelling, warmth, redness, loss of range of motion of a joint are all things that may indicate that there's inflammation. So help me understand the word range of motion. So um, each of our joints has a normal range of motion, which is how much you can bend and straighten that joint. And so when we are um, evaluating patients in the clinic, we're looking to see whether the joint moves in its normal range of motion. If there's fluid in the joint or if there's swelling around the joint, the range of motion may be limited. Is that because of pain or because of the joint doesn't move that well anymore? It's sometimes related to pain, but more often than not in rheumatoid arthritis, it's because there's swelling of the tissues in and around the joint that restricts the range of motion. 
So they're history uh, questions, mm -hmm. and then you do a physical exam. Mm -hmm. Correct. And what are you looking for there? So we're looking for swelling of a joint. We're looking for tenderness of a joint. And we're looking at the pattern of the joints that are involved. So typically, as I mentioned, patients with rheumatoid arthritis will have involvement of multiple small joints in a symmetric pattern. So someone with rheumatoid arthritis may have inflammation, tenderness, swelling of multiple joints in their hands and feet. Yeah. And the other thing that we are um, looking for are uh, laboratory tests. So there are some serologic studies that may uh, indicate a higher risk for rheumatoid arthritis, and those are antibodies called rheumatoid factor and antibodies to CCP. The first question, I guess, when you're seeing one of these patients is, do they have evidence of inflammation? And from a blood test, and the one that you're suggesting is rheumatoid factor, which is po can be positive in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, but also can be found in other sorts of inflamed patients as well. Right. So a rheumatoid factor is found to be positive in about 50% of patients with very early rheumatoid arthritis. And in patients who are negative for rheumatoid factor, about half of them will become positive somewhere along the course of their illness. So you don't have to have a rheumatoid factor in your blood to have rheumatoid arthritis. And the flip side is true in that some people will have a positive rheumatoid factor but not have rheumatoid arthritis. So the test alone is not going to make the diagnosis. But it's another peg in the board of figuring out exactly. what the person has. And then a more recent test there are antibodies to what are known as citronellated proteins, this anti-CCP uh, antibody test. How good of a test is that? Well, it's probably not any more sensitive than a rheumatoid factor for patients with early disease, but it is, we think, a little bit more specific than a rheumatoid factor. So that's to say is if your CCP antibody is positive, it's more likely than not that you do have rheumatoid arthritis. The other thing about a CCP antibody is if the titer is high, that tends to be associated with more aggressive disease. So it can help us prognostically when we're seeing a patient with RA who has a high CCP antibody. Let me just rephrase this. If the antibody to CCP is negative, that does not exclude rheumatoid arthritis. Correct. If the antibody test is positive, it is uh, helpful in part of the diagnostic picture, but it doesn't prove that you have uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And then you pointing out that if you have a lot of this antibody, in other words, that the measurement in the blood, the titer of how much antibody is there is very high, it may suggest that if, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you'd have a more aggressive disease. Am I getting that right? That is correct. There's no definitive blood test, in other words, that proves that you do or do not have this disease. That's correct. It's really a combination of your history, the pattern of the joint involvement, the laboratory tests, and then sometimes we'll use x-rays or other tests that would support the diagnosis. But the blood test alone is not going to make a diagnosis. Uh, this is a relapsing and remitting disease like so many other autoimmune diseases, or does it come and stay and never go away? So this is a chronic disease. So it comes and it stays, but it may have 
times of exacerbation, so periods of time where the arthritis is more severe and other times when it's less so. What makes the disease process get better and what makes it get worse? Well, we really don't know that for sure. Many patients will say that if they overuse their joints, they may have a flare, or if they're under a particular amount of stress during a period of time that their joints might flare. If they don't get adequate sleep, they may have a flare. But for each patient, it's very different. And sometimes people flare and get better for no apparent reason. And does weather play a role in whether somebody feels that they're joints are going to be better or worse? This is an area of some controversy, I would say, in rheumatology. Many patients will describe that when the weather is cold and rainy, that their joints feel worse, that they're more achy and they're more sore. And I certainly can say that I've observed this in my patients, although I will say that there's not a lot of hard data that supports this in the literature. So overworking a joint can make it feel worse, but exercise is probably very good for patients. How do you balance out that whole question of how much to exercise and how much to rest? When's it a good idea to chill and when's it a good idea to push on? Yeah, this comes up all the time and I think it's very important. Um, You know, back in the day we used to um, tell patients who had very active rheumatoid arthritis to really rest a lot and it turns out that that might not have been the best advice. Generally, if you have a joint that's highly inflamed, it's best not to really um, stress that joint. But moving through a normal, gentle range of motion can be very helpful uh, to get that joint under better control. So what I tell my patients is is that I, I really want them to be as active as they can be Uh, but without really hurting their joints. Uh, Some amount of low-level activity every day is very important to keep the joints uh, supple and healthy and moving as well as they can be. So what other lifestyle uh, modifications should patients do to help their joint disease? So we talked about exercise. The other thing that I think is really important is really getting enough sleep, You know, resting adequate each day is very important to maintaining your energy and also um, managing your pain. Keeping your weight in a healthy range is really important. You don't want to have too much weight on a joint that may be affected. You know, stress management is also really important because patients will say that when they have unusual stressors that their joint pain gets worse. So all these kinds of um, lifestyle modifications we recommend for all of our patients. If a patient of yours is smoking, uh, you want them to stop smoking for their general health, uh, what do you tell them are the consequences of smoking on their rheumatoid arthritis? Well, as you mentioned, there's a lot of good reasons to stop smoking. But smoking actually is a risk factor for the development of rheumatoid arthritis. So I tell my patients that, is that your smoking may have contributed to you getting rheumatoid arthritis. The other thing that we know is that patients with rheumatoid arthritis that smoke tend to not respond as well to medications while they're smoking, and we definitely advise them to stop for that reason. What's the advantage for early diagnosis of somebody with rheumatoid arthritis versus waiting till the disease moves along? So we really want to make this diagnosis early, and the reason is is that we have so many good therapies now that are that are going to prevent the disease from progressing. So once the disease has set in, there's a risk for damage to the joints. 
once a joint is damaged, it's really irreversible. So the time to act is early. We like to think about therapy for patients with rheumatoid arthritis really at the first visit. And even in patients who don't have particularly aggressive disease, we're always thinking about ways to control inflammation and prevent joint damage. And those are drugs that are called uh, DMARDs or What's a DMARD? So a DMARD is a disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug. And these are a group of medicines that have been shown to prevent the disease from affecting the synovium, the tissue that lines the joints, as well as the underlying bone, and can prevent erosion of bone, which is one of the hallmarks of severe disease. There are drugs that are disease-modifying agents, and they're almost come in two flavors. They're the more uh, recent drugs that are biological forms of uh, therapy that are usually infusions or injections that affect rheumatoid arthritis. But the mainstay of treatment, the old standby, is a drug called methotrexate. Can you spend some time talking about that? So methotrexate is a drug that we have been using for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis for more than 30 years. It's taken by mouth once a week and and really has made a huge difference in what we can do for patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So for most patients, this may be the first uh, DMARD medication that they take. Most people tolerate this medicine quite well, and a good percentage of patients get an excellent response to methotrexate. There are, of course, some patients in whom the medication does not adequately treat their disease. And in those patients, we often consider multiple agents together, so what we call combinations of DMARDs, or the use of biologic therapy. And those are the medicines that are injectable or by infusion. There are some patients who take methotrexate and they really can't tolerate it. Would you jump to one of these biological therapies more rapidly then? In some cases, we would do that. Some patients will have some nausea or hair loss or oral ulcers that preclude the use of methotrexate. Occasionally, we see patients who have underlying liver disease, and those patients can't take methotrexate. So those may be situations where we would go to a biologic uh, DMARD. But there are also other oral agents such as hydroxychloroquine or sulfasalazine or leflunamide and a number of other oral disease-modifying therapies that we might use in lieu of methotrexate in those cases. But the real revolution that came about are uh, based on understanding that there are very specific chemicals that are existing in the body and in joints that can be blocked by these injectables, the anti-tumor necrosis family or TNF family of drugs. They've really changed a lot of the landscape of therapy. Yeah, this has been probably one of the most amazing things during the course of my career. These drugs became available about 20 years ago, and I think they have just revolutionized how we treat patients with rheumatoid arthritis and also really have changed the future for all of those patients. It was not uncommon 20 years ago to see patients who came to our clinic in a wheelchair, and these days it's very unusual to see that the medications have really made a huge difference and have have really changed the future for our patients. Patients can get by with 
perhaps limited joint destruction. They can do very well for very long periods of time. Sometimes I'll see people in my clinic who've been on these medicines really since the outset of their disease, and I can't even tell that they have rheumatoid arthritis. So that's not true for everybody, but it's, it's certainly a possibility for some patients. And there are other biological forms of therapy as well that are of different kinds than the TNF blockers that seem to help in some patients, too. The uh, future is pretty bright for all kinds of therapy for this disease. That's absolutely true. And we have many drugs uh, that are what we call non-TNF biologics, which we save for patients who haven't responded to TNF inhibitors or in whom uh, they can't they can't take TNF inhibitors. Um, but the, there's a, a fairly big pipeline of new drugs coming on the market to treat rheumatoid arthritis. If a young woman who is uh, afflicted with rheumatoid arthritis wants to become pregnant, what are the issues there? Is it safe? Is it uh, something that should be uh, worried about? What do you suggest to, to your patients? So we see a lot of women uh, in the childbearing age who have rheumatoid arthritis. The most important thing is really to work closely with your doctor to talk about your plans for pregnancy. Most women with rheumatoid arthritis can have a successful pregnancy and do well, but it requires that we manage the medicines very carefully. For example, methotrexate is a medicine that we really cannot use during pregnancy. So if you're on methotrexate, that medication is going to need to be stopped. And in most cases, we'll have to add something else on to replace that so that the disease can maintain so that the patient can maintain good control of their disease. So it really requires some planning, careful planning, uh, around medications. When one has a chronic disease or one that does well for a while and then flares, it's really uh, important to have close communication of the patient and the provider. Is that true for rheumatoid arthritis as well? Absolutely. I think it's very important that there is a close collaboration between the patient and the physician and also regular follow-up to make sure that whatever medication you've chosen is actually working and that you haven't developed any toxicity and that you can anticipate the problems that may come along in the future. So having that close collaboration with your physician um, is, is critically important. An organized approach to being able to get a hold of your doctor within a reasonable period of time if you're having symptoms, but regular checkups are a good idea as well. Absolutely. Most of the medications we use need to be monitored, and so we have regular visits to monitor the medications and to monitor the disease to make sure that things are under control. Where do you tell patients to go online or to find uh, information that's really helpful uh, to them? What sources of information would you trust out there? So I think there are two excellent places to go for information. One of them is the Arthritis Foundation, which is www.arthritis.org. And the other is the American College of Rheumatology, which is www.rheumatology.org. And both of these websites have specific areas where there's information for patients to learn more about their disease. Dr. Jonas, thank you so much for spending time here today, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you enjoy this series, you can subscribe to the Chairs Corner on iTunes or like the UNC Department of Medicine on Facebook. 
Stay tuned for our next episode.